Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Renowned Kentucky author Ed McClanahan died Saturday, November 27th at his home in Lexington. He was 89 years old. Ed McClanahan, a native of Brooksville, Kentucky, near Maysville, was best known for his book, The Natural Man, and his memoir, Famous People I Have Known. He was a master short story writer, college professor, and close friend of many, Wendell Berry, Gurney Norman, Bobby Ann Mason, and photographer Guy Mendez. At Stanford University in Palo Alto, California, he was a Wallace Stegner Fellow when he met and befriended Ken Kesey, author of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. In 2019, former Lexington Herald-Leader editor and columnist Tom Eblen and I visited Ed in his home for a book we are writing about the places in Kentucky where writers choose to write, a comfortable room, a front porch, or anywhere they feel most at home with their craft. Ed invited us into a room where he has done most of his writing for the past 20 years, including his latest collection of of coming-of-age tales, Not Even Immortality Lasts Forever. The walls, floors, and tabletops were filled with memories and artifacts from his writing life. Here is that interview with Ed McClanahan. Ed, uh, tell us about this place we're in today and what it means to you. This room, this space. Well, as I mentioned when you all came, my wife told me when we first moved in here, she said, you can keep all this stuff if you keep it all in one space. So this this is where it all ended up. But... Um, I, I just like being in a place that reminds me of where I've been and who I've been <laughs> in, in various phases of my life. And uh, I, I, there's not an item in here, and there must be thousands. There's not one that doesn't have some kind of little story attached to it in my head. Uh, and uh, uh, so it's like it's like I walk into my own mind when I come in here, uh, or into my own memory at any rate. And uh, it, it uh, it's very it's it's important to me to have a space like this. I've always had one. I've always had a I always carved out a little place no matter where I've lived, uh, a little place to be mine. And Why is that important to a writer? I just think you have to get comfortable with who you are, and you can't be very comfortable on a train or an airplane or uh, a hotel room or something. You know, it's just... Uh, uh, I can't imagine 
being at ease in that situation, I'm always, I mean, that makes me tense in another way that I don't want to be, I don't want to have it going on while I'm trying to write, you know, um, that sort of tension. Describe for us, if you will, as you just look around and and point out and give us some uh, description of what some of these uh, items are and and why they are important to you. And he's opening up a drawer. I'll do it. And, I'm, what I'm and he's going to look for something here besides a magnifying glass, <laughs> which we all should have, yeah, and some toothpaste. what you might come up with in here, but what I'm looking for. I'm glad it's you looking in there instead of us. I might be afraid to. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes things have a tendency to there's, push back in them. There's what I was looking for. Oh, okay. Then describe that to us. That's just a little um, pointer. Um, laser for, pointer. For a laser pointer? Laser pointer, yeah. Uh, I was going to point out some things. I, I've done this. I used to bring students in here and sit them down and tell them about the stuff in here. Um, well, one thing I always tell them about is this: this these posters here, the, these four uh, bullet knife posters. They're um, uh, they're painted by a, a very good friend of mine, and they're paint, paintings of a, a very close friend of mine, this guy right right here. Uh, his name is Kent Crockett, and he's, uh, there he is, uh, there with me years and years ago. He's a Californian and a guy that I talked to on the phone constantly is, uh, uh, was a creative, or not a creative writing teacher, a literature teacher mm -hmm. at, in California colleges and a uh, uh, very interesting guy. But I, I love the fact that uh, he turns up in these paintings. He's, these are all paintings for the ads for the bullet knife mm -hmm. uh, and uh, in this one he's cutting the canoe loose because it's caught in a rapid and then they're all about to go down then he broke his arm mm. supposedly in this incident and this guy is fixing his arm and by the way the guy who's fixing his arm is the guy who painted the picture and one of these other people is Kent's son, and here comes a bear across the river over there. <laughs> the bear gets there in this one, and they're in the tent, and they're, he's cut his way out with the knife. And in this one, the horse is running away, and, he's, and one of them is cutting the horse loose uh, with the knife. So it's... Clever. Yeah. <laughs> you always need a good bullet knife, don't right. you? Right. <laughs> so when were these from? The fifties, sixties? Um, he Larry painted those in the in the seventies, mm. I think, um, and they were a big deal in advertising. Advertising. He also did this poster here for Levi's, and it, the light makes it impossible to see. But really, but the smokestacks on that on that uh, riverboat are 
Levi's, <laughs> their pants <laughs> upside down, and on the on the the paddle wheel on the on the steamboat is uh, Levi's Levi's shirts, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so uh, this poster was in thousands of Levi's stores around the country for a while. Um, let's see, there's my. Acid test graduation uh, certificate. <laughs> uh, Who's that signed by? Uh, uh, that's uh, uh, signed by Kesey, I think. Is it? I believe so. Yeah. It's on there somewhere. And um, there's my Universal Life Church uh, membership. <laughs> um, Don't I'm, tell anybody, but I have one of those too. Oh, really? Yeah. No kidding. A lot of people do. <laughs> but some iconic... Uh, Pictures too, right below that. That's a guy Mendes photograph. Uh-huh. He's reproduced. A and lot then little Enos down here. Enos and the Go Go Girls there. Uh, well, when you are here and and the words might not be right where you want them to be, uh, do, do gazing at those give you some inspiration? Sometimes, yep. Uh, you'd be amazed at how many. Uh, what at the thoughts that spring from these from looking at these things there's the R. Crumb that's the original cover for famous people I've known it is by Crumb I mean that <laughs> that is his painting and uh, he was, what's right below that this here mm-hmm. that's a Stedman still life uh, that he Ralph Stedman that mm-hmm. he did for um uh, part it's partly on the on my book uh, my Vita, um, oh the clear moment mm-hmm. uh, uh, it's on the back of the back of that book. Well, tell us about uh, some of the other places that you 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 called your writing place. You you spent some time up in Henry County. Was it inspirational to be out in the country? I've been out there uh, to Mr. Barry's home, and I know mm-hmm. how remote that is. Yeah. Oh, it was wonderful. Um, uh, I, I my my favorite book is um, a Congress of Wonders. My book, my favorite book of mine. I mean, it ain't the Bible or anything, but. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, that book really, I could never have written that book if I hadn't lived in Henry County because it's, you know, and, and my favorite story in that book is the one called, um, uh, is the story about Finch Franck, the final, uh, it's a novella really. And, uh, it has to do with his, partly with his inadequacies as a farmer. Mm-hmm. And I would not have known if I hadn't experienced my own inadequacies up there. And and uh, uh, discovered that, uh, in fact, I, I really enjoyed the work, you know. I, I wouldn't have thought so at all. Uh, but... Uh, um, Living living next door to Wendell was an education that that, that came late, but uh, a really 
uh, important one for you me. You had to get up early to keep up with him, didn't oh, you? Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't, uh, there wasn't any getting ahead of him, I'll tell you. It, it was, it was uh, instructive. <laughs> In your early years, uh, when you were um, all over the country for a while, mm-hmm. um, can you recall uh, some of your writing places uh, that oh, you yeah. can tell us about? In California, Gurney and I had offices in an old building in downtown Palo Alto called the Poppycock, uh, or we called it that. It was uh, it was a commercial building. It's still there, still standing. I saw pictures of it just the other day. Bobby Ann was out there and went and specially took pictures of it for Gurney and me. And uh, we had offices, mine cost $25 a month, and I think Gurney's cost 20 if I'm not mistaken, because got... I had running water in mine, oh. <laughs> <laughs> which meant that it had a little sink in it. Uh, which Why the name Poppycock? Well, there was a fish and chips cafe downstairs called the Poppycock. Oh. And the the poppycock eventually turned into a little nightclub. Uh, it was it kept the name poppycock for a long time, and then later it was called in your ear. But it it had music uh, almost well music every weekend, no matter what it was called, what variation it was living under at that moment. And so my uh, my office, my little office, was directly over the stage, and I heard the Grateful <laughs> Dead and Brownie, uh, Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee and uh, Mose Allison and Dan Hicks and the Hot Licks and uh, I can't think who all you know, just countless, just wonderful musicians playing right under my feet. <laughs> So, was that uh, distracting to you? Not at all. It was <laughs> entertaining, but um, there were plenty of distractions around anyway. It was downtown Palo Alto in the 1960s, you know. So there was a lot going on. Um, but uh, uh, that was a wonderful place to work. And then... Uh, before I had that, while I was out there, I had a, I lived in La Honda for a couple of years, and I had a little sh- uh, office in an sh- outbuilding, a shed, and uh, it was a cold, damp kind of place. But uh, I had a, I, I, it was all mine, you know. It was out in the redwoods, and keys. Uh, Kesey came to it came into there one time and uh, brought a friend of ours with him and they looked around and Kesey said, "Now look here, this is what dope will do to a really good writer." <laughs> and um, he was right. <laughs> do you remember what you were writing in those years? Yeah, I was I was writing I was, uh, you know, for many years I was struggling with the natural man. I was trying to make it happen, and I just pushed it, and it, it wouldn't happen, you know, or wouldn't happen 
as well as I wanted it to happen. And uh, that lasted forever. And finally I came to town and got my office at the Poppycock. And, and while I, during that period, I started writing um, nonfiction, little essays about things going on. Um, Gurney and I were uh, two of the four editors of a publication called The Free You, which was started out as just a little newsletter for the Free University of Palo Alto, you know, which was a going proposition at the time. And the Free You was spelled, the name of it was Free Wow You, of course, and it was a liberated publication. And Gurney and I were the editors, but we worked up the editorial policy, uh, which was that we never turned anything down. (laughs) And that meant that we had to guarantee that there would be something good in there to be worth, that would be worth your trouble, you know, if you were reading it. And so we took it upon ourselves to either write something ourselves or find something by somebody else, some of our writer friends. And uh, uh, it became a really lively and fun publication. And um, I had, uh, I had a, I came home from California, came back to Maysville for a visit, and my folks were there. And um, I had an experience in Maysville, a run-in with a couple of, uh, or three young guys who wanted to take me apart because I would look like a hippie, you know, a California hippie, which I was. <laughs> And this was happened in a little bar there across the river from Maysville. And I talked them into allowing me to buy them a beer before, <laughs> before they busted my ass. Uh, um, and uh, uh, found out after we conversed for a minute, uh, a few minutes, that... Uh, one of them was the little brother of a great high school buddy of mine. So, and he said, Jesus Christ, you're Eddie McClanahan. Why, this is one of the smartest guys in Maysville High School. <laughs> and you still came back to Kentucky. Yeah. And um, uh, so you know, it kind of was a milestone in my development of, of a consciousness of everybody sort. has to get beaten up once or twice don't yeah they? yeah <laughs> and um so when i went back to california i had um a minor surgery scheduled it was just oral surgery but I, it was going to require me to be in the hospital for two nights uh, the night before and the night of the surgery and so I went to the hospital, and I took along a pad of paper and a ballpoint because I thought maybe I was, I'd been thinking about writing about this little encounter that I'd just had had in this bar in May, back home in Maysville. 
the next morning, early in the morning, they gave me some kind of preparatory mm. medication, and then the next morning, they gave me a shot of Demerol <laughs> because I was going to have the surgery coming right up. I and bet you wrote 500 words that, I, that morning. What happened? I did. <laughs> what happened was that um, the uh, they had an emergency in the hospital, and they put off... Uh, <laughs> my surgery for a couple of hours, and there I was riding this Demerol just as high as a kite, and a paper right there in front of me, and I just started writing, and it was totally liberating, you know. I, I ended up, I did write about 500 words, and it just did nothing flat, you know, and after I got out of the surgery and so forth, I looked at it, and I thought, God damn, this is not bad, you know. <laughs> And it turned out to be um, a piece that uh, actually kind of leads off uh, famous people I've mm. known. And uh, um, it uh, got reprinted here and there and got picked up by some underground writing syndicate mm -hmm. or something and republished here and there. And it had a kind of constituency, I guess you'd call it. What do you tell today, what do you tell young people about your writing life and whether or not uh, they should pursue same. Well, I don't talk to very many young people anymore. <laughs> don't see them much. If I were, I don't know, it's, it's like the best advice that I could give anybody is just pay attention, you know, just, you know, your life story is going on while we talk, you know, and... It, it, Everything is the potential has has artistic potential in it. Every moment in time, if you just pick it up and and single it out and shape it and look into it and see what it consists of, it's all there. Um, you know, uh, um, I used to tell students that any one of their faces could be the Mona Lisa, you know, if the right painter came along. That even applies to the boys, you know, in the class. Guys with beards. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, well, you also, um, you haven't stopped writing, and this uh, fast-forwarding now to what uh, you're doing um, that'll be published next year in 2020, and what uh, Gray is doing for you. Um, it, it must be so personally rewarding to know that you're still in the game. It really is. Uh, it astonished me when I realized that I actually had another book. Um, I hadn't... Well, I, <clears throat> I got sick about... Uh, five years ago, four or five years ago, and uh, I had a liver abscess, uh, it turned out, and uh, I suppose that I was very close to having cirrhosis of the liver. <laughs> I, was, I was lying in the hospital bed, and a couple of doctors were standing at the foot of it, and they were talking about my condition. And one of them said, well, what do you think this could have come from? And the other said, oh, I don't know, it could be the spleen or the thyroid or, you know, they named two or three possibilities. 
And I'm lying there thinking, wait a minute, I don't think so. I said, excuse me, could you, do you think it has anything to do with drinking? <laughs> and the guy, to my astonishment, the guy said, no. <laughs> Actually, he, he didn't say it that emphatically. Yeah. And, and it turned out, of course, it did have something to do with drinking. I mean, but it wasn't, it wasn't directly caused by that. Uh, and I don't know that they ever did figure out what what the immediate source of it was, but uh, I didn't take advantage of the options there <laughs> involved in that. I, I did not do any more drinking after that. Well, um, congratulations to uh, you and your life of writing and your contribution to uh, the literary richness and the heritage of, of Kentucky. And you're going to be a big part of our, of our literary lunch, uh, putting all I'm four of you on stage and, and let you tell some stories uh, <laughs> that'll be, uh, have everybody rolling. Uh, does Gurney still laugh at your jokes? He, he better. <laughs> Thank you, Ed. After this word from our underwriter, Spalding University, who brings you this podcast every week, I'll return with more about Ed McClanahan from his friend, Tom Evelyn. As a Kentucky humanities lover, you've heard of Spalding University's nationally distinguished MFA in creative writing. Now at the Naslin Mann Graduate School of Writing, we've added two innovative programs in professional writing, your career goals take center stage as you work one-on-one -on -one with a faculty mentor to gain the writing skills employer's prize. Learn more about our low residency master's and certificate in professional writing at spalding.edu forward slash writing or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. Tom, thanks for sitting down with me to talk about uh, our friend, um, Ed McClanahan and his passing. You were with me that day uh, when we were in his uh, workspace. What do you remember about being in his house and the place that Ed McClanahan did uh, a lot of his writing uh, for the last 30 years? Well, I had been there a few times before because Ed just lives three blocks from me, so he had been a neighborhood fixture. Uh, but it was, uh, it's just a, it was just a small room. He had a great view out a big picture window looking from his uh, from his computer and his desk out on Walton Avenue and into Bell Court down Boonesboro Avenue. Uh, and he, he sat at his grandfather's desk, which was just a little two-drawer table that had his big iMac on it. But the, the, the main thing about that room was it was just filled with, uh, with all of his things from years and years. And, and when we were talking about it, I, I took down this great quote of his. He said, I walk into my mind when I walk in here. I like a place that reminds me of where I've been and who I've been. And that was certainly that room. I mean, it was just, um, there was, uh, oh, I mean, Art Crumb's original artwork for his uh, book, Famous People I've Known. There were, you know, a picture of his 1951 Maysville High School class. There was his friend Guy Mendez's great photograph of Captain, you know, of him dressed up as Captain Kentucky standing in the hallway of Hanover Towers back in the 1970s. <laughs> and, uh, you know, because he'd, he'd been in this house for 30 years. And um, and this was kind of his his little sanctum. And, uh you know, it's 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 actually where he spent his last few days, um, and it's uh, it it was just such a such a magical place. And um, I mean, you know, the I mean, you know, there was 
a frame photo of the uh, uh, autograph photo of the Hilltoppers. There was, uh, and the, the one of those is the, uh, it was an acid test graduate certificate <laughs> signed by Ken Kesey, <laughs> which he didn't tell us a lot about, but um, but but the. But we if you've ever read, if you've ever read Tom Wolf's story, you know the magic the, the Kool Aid Acid Test, you know what it was all about. We sort of read between the lines, exactly. Yeah. What else did you? Uh, what was it about being with him in that room, knowing what he had done there and and what he'd done elsewhere? I mean, what what a life he had uh, lived uh, all over the country, uh, moving from from uh, Kentucky, that small town where he was born, and those stories that. Uh, he wrote about uh, to California, and then coming back here and teaching, and then leaving to go to Oregon and and, and Montana. Was it? Yeah, yeah, I believe uh, it was Montana. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was. You know, he was just a um, just a great observer of of everyone and every everything. And what I really appreciated about Ed was just his sense of humor. I mean, that was uh, if you walked in the room, you saw you know his sense of humor. There was you know a statue of old Granddad, the bourbon icon with a party hat on, and I love this. He had this stencil. It was very this calligraphy uh, saying over the mantel of his of his uh, of his room that said, and I, I took it down so I'd remember. It says, "Oh, what a place so nice to be to sit and fish beneath a tree, to wander with your dog and smoke, or listen to a funny joke." <laughs> that was that yeah. was just it. I mean, he just had this great outlook on life. He could always find the humor in things. Uh, another thing, when we were sitting at his computer, he had um, he had written down kind of funny things from that day's paper, including a it was a an obituary of a woman who had a really kind of a humorous alliterative name, and there was a, a headline about how dry conditions are making the drought worse and. It's just the kind yeah. of stuff that makes newspaper editors cringe, yeah. but but that was just Ed. Well, he was um, he was a wonderful person, um, and I guess if there are any regrets uh, that I have, is that more young people don't know his work, and um, they can they can read his work now. I mean, they can go back uh, if there was. Uh, a mention of uh, his passing uh, among friends, uh, if there was the article in the Lexington Herald Leader about his death, um, they they can at least get a, an idea of what he did. But I think to really know him, you have to you have to read him and maybe even to hear his friends uh, uh, talk about it. You went to lunch with him. You had a, a T- tell me about the lunch group. And, yeah, well, there and, was uh, for a couple of years uh, that I was a member of it, but it had been going on for several years. But when I was at the Herald Leader, I was often too busy or it was on a bad day. But but every Friday afternoon, uh, a bunch of people would get together for lunch. It was uh, Ed and Bobby Ann Mason and John Lackey, who's a local artist and poet, and Tom, Tom Kimmerer, who's a, a, a forest scientist, is kind of the organizer of it. And then there would be other people. Ed's uh, daughter, Chris, would often come. Um, Richard Bailey, who now teaches uh, history up in New York State. Uh, and then several other people kind of come and go as they have time. Terry Carter, who is a uh, writer, lives in Lawrenceburg. Uh, Deborah Alexander, who's a retired diplomat, who would regale us of stories of working in, in Afghanistan for a decade and, and you know sneaking into Iraq and all these kind of things. So it was just this kind of... A great collection of people, many of whom were writers, but um, we just love to sit around and tell stories. And whenever, you know, Ed or Bobby Ann start telling a story, 
you know, everybody just be is quiet because you know they they just have had such wonderful literary lives. Um, did Ed talk about uh, the the early years uh, when he was uh, in California as a Stegner Fellow? Sometime it, it's funny, uh, and and we continued to, when the pandemic started. We took this uh, this this lunch uh, group. We call it the Salon, and we would take it on. We took it on Zoom, and uh, in some ways it worked even better on Zoom because everybody wouldn't talk at once, and everybody could hear each other in, over over the noisy restaurant. But yeah, sometimes he would. I mean, we would just kind of start talking about what we were doing, or they would, you know. Think of some memory or, you know, some some old story, and he would. Uh, uh, when Bobby Ann came out with Dear Ann, uh, her book, which is is set out in uh, in California, Ed, you know, would sometimes share stories about you know when he was out there and Gurney was out there, Gurney Norman, uh, and and in at the Stegner Fellows out at Stanford, and uh, it's it was just you know it was just kind of a. A, a group of people who would get together to chat for an hour and a half and, uh, you know, talk about what was going on in the news or the world's problems or literature or what they were working on or uh, just, you know, what was going on in the world. Every Kentucky writer uh, of some renown, uh, of some fame, um, has their own distinct style and, and you know them for a particular genre or uh, the way they write. Um I can't think of anyone, uh, maybe you can, but I don't know of anyone who, uh, Ed was so unique in what, in, in the way his mind worked and the way he wrote, uh, I mean, his memoir, for example, and, and recalling all of those stories uh, from childhood all the way through, um, at that time, as much of an adult as he ever became. Um, do, do you know of anybody that that's even... Maybe, maybe I hesitate in, in answer my own question. Maybe Robert Guype does a has a little bit of mm-hmm. that. Maybe he was influenced by uh, by Ed in in some way. I don't know. I've never asked yeah. Guype about that, but yeah. he may have been. You know, the thing about Ed's style. I mean, it was first of all the humor and the kind of the irony in life. But he would have a way of writing about it in this you know loquacious kind of florid style, which often can be terrible, but with Ed's kind of mastery of language, it always worked. I mean, he would find, you know, just these, these, these kind of spin these sentences that really brought out the humor and, and made things, kind of like Gurney does, made things even more funny than they are uh, just because of their writing style. And that was kind of um, Ed's trademark, was just to, to master at the use of, of wor- creative words that would, you know, really bring out the heart of his story. I did say that uh, I, I did have that regret that maybe young people uh, would not know his work unless they uh, sought it out, or I, I don't think uh, his um, his writing is is studied, or it could be. I don't know. I'm somebody uh, adopting his novels, uh, his books uh, for um, classroom. The other regret maybe, and I, I, maybe because of somebody I was thinking of, Steve uh, Inskeep at uh, NPR uh, Morning Edition, uh, it would be nice if, if he didn't, didn't know um, uh, Inskeep has some Kentucky roots uh, going to Moorhead and, and that, that he should be, uh, I, I hope somebody on a national uh, scale uh, announced or said something or paid, a, paid tribute to, to Ed uh, because he, I think his, 
His language, his writing uh, is uh, goes beyond just Kentucky. I mean, he's not just a Kentucky writer. Oh yes, and, yeah. and, and the, the way he is. So I, I would. I, I, that's still a possibility that that can be done. But uh, to really be uh, paid tribute on on national basis of um, of the work that he did for so many years and and how he kept kept on writing right up until the very end. Well, yes, and I think you know if someone really wants to to get to know Ed's work, I would recommend a few books. His fa- his favorite book of his was A Congress of Wonders, which was, you know, just a collection of great stories. His his most recently, which is uh, uh, what not even immortality lasts forever, is a great collection of stories that speak to him. His novel uh, A Natural Man is is just a hilarious. Classic. Yeah, it's yeah. a it's a classic and. Uh, but you know, Ed was uh, also just some of his, you know, his nonfiction pieces. His profile years ago in Playboy magazine of uh, Lexan lounge performer Little Enos is a, is a real classic of the genre. But uh, you know, Ed's always said that you know his main subject was himself, and but but it was really kind of about just the foibles that everybody has and the the humor in everyday life, and uh, that's what I think people can really learn from reading Ed's work is just to kind of look at the world and look at themselves and not take it all too seriously. Well, thanks, Tom, for sharing your thoughts about Ed. Um, uh, we will miss him, and um, uh, we know that he's in a, in a good place, we think. Um, I'm sure of it. And he's, uh, <laughs> I'm sure, laughing and, and uh, telling a few jokes to those who listen to him. Yeah, well, it's good to be with you today, Bill. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.